Welcome to Confessions of a Melanated Queen, a podcast designed to celebrate achievements within black culture. Here's your host, Dr. Lauren Meeks. Welcome back to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Before we get started, let's hear a word from our sponsor. The Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness, and Transformation is your one-stop shop to Wellville. Here at the Center, we believe in treating the whole person. This is why our goal is to help each of our clients to obtain optimal health and wellness through mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional alignment. For more information about the services that we provide, visit us at thecenterforselfimprovement.com or give us a call at 630-748-4849. The Center, where we believe in treating the whole you. Hey family, welcome back to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. So if you've been listening, you are aware that I have dedicated the last part of the month of October to my good friends, my sisters, my queens from the Royal Empress Organization. Well, today we have who I just affectionately call the anchor of that organization. Dr. Hakima Muhammad is with us today. So here's my confession about Dr. Hakima. So I know this sounds kind of silly, but you know, early this year, you all were so excited. You had on your daishikis, you all bought out the movie theater to go see Black Panther. And we all saw the beautiful queens who defended their country, who stood for the throne, who fought for their king. But we've got a real life soldier on the mic today. And so Dr. Hakima, welcome, sis. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, wow. Thank you for having me, sister. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Oh, I'm excited to have you. I'm so excited. I just can't wait to dig into some of the things that we've talked about offline because just really going back to that conversation about, and you just schooled me on some things that I'm going to ask you to share with our family um, as it relates to women and the role that, that we play um, in certain facets. Now on the show, on your podcast, which I'm truly a fan, you know, I listen every week. Yes, you do. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. And I you share. And you share. And yeah. we really appreciate that. No problem. I mean, it's this is this is education. Like I was telling, I told I told um Shay on our recording, and I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure that um Akila and I talked about this as well. We did actually. I start off with with Akila about you know how I feel every week when I walk away when I'm listening to the show. So I listen most of the time. I listen on Sunday night. Sometimes I listen to Monday mornings on my way to work, and it really helps set the tone for the week because mm-hmm. it's hard to find a group of women, one who are like-minded. And even mm-hmm. if they're not like-minded, they're able to challenge you. And that's really what you do quite a bit, but you're able to challenge you to think outside the box. There are times when I'm like, I'm in the car riding, I'm at home and I'm listening to the show and I'm like, I never thought about that. I never thought about that. Like, that's something that's interesting. And then I begin to have conversations with my family. My husband and I talk about your show all the time. He listens. Sometimes he'll listen separately from me. And we get together and we'll talk about it and we'll discuss it. And, and to me, you're building communities. You're building the Black family. You're, you're building people individually because it's thought-provoking. And I always feel spiritually enlightened whenever I listen to your show. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. God is good. I mean, our whole motive was not to to put ourselves out there some type of some every our whole motive was to we know that we we hold truth 
Mm. And it's like a disease. If you don't spread the truth, that's, that's disastrous. You've got to get it out there. God bless you with the truth so that you can spread it. And so, mm. uh, I mean, our motive is to be pleasing in the sight of God. That's, that's, that's our motivation, uplift our community. But number one, to be pleasing to him. And that I believe you're doing, you're definitely uplifting the community because again, I, I feel so great and I always share it out and I hope that people are listening and, and I know if they hear what I hear, you know, their, their week is going to be enhanced because of that. So you guys individually are doing some wonderful things and that leads me to you. Um, you know, in your own words, share with our family um, a little bit about you, your background and the things that you're working on. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's a lot in my background. I, I'll say that. Uh, I don't la- really do much talking of myself. So um, as I forget things, you'll probably throw it in every time mm-hmm. I uh, do. And now, like I say, is, is in my testimony. Every time I say something, she'll come back saying, but you left out this, you left out that, you left out that. She actually wrote my bio. I did a three-sentence bio, and she said, what is this? <laughs> when she got through, it was like 18 paragraphs, and I was like, uh-huh, who is this woman? So, uh, all right, I'll say a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Dr. Hakeem Muhammad. Uh, I like to consider myself a, a spiritual and an educational woman because I've, I've earned my doctor degree in organizational leadership um all oh, that's fine to have education but without no spiritual balance it's for not you're really no good to anyone uh, so i like to say i'm a more balanced person because as i am intelligent i'm also spiritual um my background is i've worked in many different fields i've worked in consulting i've worked in management i've worked in sales i've worked in i've worked in i'm working in corrections now which is something totally different than what I'm used to. But I've worked in various fields, and I like to say that God put me in those different arenas so that I can develop skill sets in those arenas and so that I can use them for the future. So I like to consider myself a real-rounded person. Um, my strength is leadership. Uh, has it fared well for me? No. <laughs> in many environments, I mean, you know, I mean, when I read your book, it was like an instant connection because I knew that, we, we were we were like-minded or had similar experiences when you're strong and you stand for your community that don't fare well in the corporate environment and yeah. I was working in banking and I was hooking up brothers with loans and they weren't happy about that Mm-mm-mm. so because I was helping my brothers get loans who had businesses I had to go <laughs> so I won't call out that bank but it's all right it's okay right. God is good uh, so I just like to call myself a spiritual war, warrior. That's, that's what I can call myself, a spiritual soldier, spiritual warrior. I hope that answers the question. It does. It does. And, and it really, I find that whenever I talk to people that every situation is not the same, but when God has placed it on your heart to save and to empower people, no matter where you go, there's going to be some type of challenge in every career. I'm not sure if you've experienced that, but I know that even when I went through the one situation I mentioned in the book, when I go somewhere else, there's still a barrier because the work and the fight is difficult. It's not, it's not easy. And you're, you're, you're going to be called to, to do his work, no matter where you are. And Uh that's the role of a soldier. I mean, would you agree with that? What do you think? Yeah, yes, it is. It's, it's in, my, in my early life, um, you know, God has a way of urging you or putting you in a situation where you're going to do what he needs you to do. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, contrary to, to how I am right now, my personality, I was a very timid person years ago. And so when truth needs to be spoken, I was the person standing there not speaking. 
but the mm-hmm. commonality was it was always me. And so in seeking counsel um, with a, a sister, older sister, oh, I like to surround myself at that time with older sisters, told me mm-hmm. the reason why you keep being put in them situations because God wants you to speak up. He wants you to speak right. true. And the first time I did it, it was very fulfilling and I haven't looked back. I was sharing with someone when, about your show and I said to them, well, I think that <laughs> I did a video recently about you guys, but I mentioned that your intro, it says that it, that your character is the, um, the one who would challenge you. <laughs> and what yeah. is not only is it true, though, but when I listen to your show, there are times where the first few minutes I don't hear you. And I'm like, is that the Hakima there? And you will <laughs> you will. <laughs> You'll step in like, and you'll, you'll begin to talk, especially when you guys are doing interviews and your question and the things that you say are always like, wow. So that's what she was holding back all that time. (laughs) Always, you always hit us with not only the knowledge though, but just a completely different way of thinking about things. And it's, and that's how, when, when I think of, of you being the empress that would challenge you, I don't see it as, you know, combative. I definitely see it as someone that will enlighten you. And I, I definitely can say that when, when you speak, I begin to see things in, in, in a different light. So I opened up my eyes and so I applaud you for that because it's really easy to get caught into conversations sometimes and you feel the pressure to agree with things. But not only are you challenging, but you're also saying, okay, well, here, here's another side to this in a positive way. And I think that's so important as it relates to communication within our people and our culture. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, that actually... That actually stemmed from, like I said, early in my life, I think I, I came into the Nation of Islam at like 17, 18. Because mm-hmm. some Orthodox Muslims ran me up out of there. They said I was too pro-black. They said, why don't you go over there with Farrakhan and them? I said, if, <laughs> if, if, if being pro-black and loving myself is, is, is too much for over here, then I'm going to do that. And, and right. I went over there and, and just fell in love and became and learned so much and grew so much spiritually and grew as a soldier because of the women that I was surrounded with. So I would latch on to women in their 40s. Mm-hmm. Women like Mother Tainetta, um, women like Sister Ava Muhammad. I mean, these were women who were ministers, but they were strong, they were spiritually strong. So these are women that I would sit up under and try to learn, and not to mention other sisters, uh, like Sister Ruby. That was another sister, a sister named Sister Reba, Sister Lawita. It was so many sisters in there that were older than me that I was able to latch on to to try to learn from and say, this sister got it going on, I'm trying to be like her. Mm-hmm. And so the, the challenging comes from them challenging me. Like, you know, you know how many times I have sat with some of those sisters and they say, listen to what you just said. And it had, and I had to really think and say, okay, yeah, that don't make no sense. Right. So when you love someone, you challenge them because you're going to challenge them or you're going to well, challenge them to tap into the God in themselves. You know, we all have God in us. And when we pray, we don't realize we're praying in the God to, within us as well. God puts himself in us every time he creates us. So, I mean, we have God in us. We have that self-accusing spirit to say, hey, this ain't God-like or that's devilish-like. We listen to it or we don't, uh, but they always challenge me. And because they challenged me, it made me better. It made me go back and study. Like I was, Sister Ava told me, you don't even, you don't know what you're talking about. What, what, what's the basis of what you're saying? I had no basis. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, no problem. You know, you gonna come to, you don't come to no debate and you ain't did no research. Right. And I was sitting there like, okay. I mean, that challenged me because I was a young 21 year old, 20 year old, not knowing what I was talking about, but thought I knew what I was talking about. 
for having those strong sisters who wasn't trying to, you know, belittle me, but was trying to strengthen me. And then one of the few things they'd always say is, I see a lot of myself in you, but this is what mm -hmm. I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you get to where I'm at. And that was something I said, okay, this is something I want to do. I respect it and honor them. And I said, when I get their age, I want to be like them or better. So I stuck. I stuck, I stayed, I was steadfast and I stuck fast with them and, and that's where the challenging nature comes from. They challenged me. And so I saw a benefit of it. I see the benefit in it myself now and how it worked. I try to challenge others. Do you think that there is um a lack of that type of relationship and rapport within our community now? I I know I work with young ladies and it's it's for me, I find it challenging to support them and mentor them and bring them up because Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm the only one when they leave me there around three or four or five other people who are just like them. So they don't really have, it's almost like the, the negative influence outweighs the positive. So do you think that there's a lack of that in our community now? Do you think that maybe we just don't, we don't know how to connect the dots? What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think so. I think it's uh, in our community, it's a lack of being God-centered. Mm. And so when there's no when God is not the center, then you really don't have a community because everybody's for self. It's it's the the older women are so career minded that they're not looking to say, I need to grab me a young sister mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's maybe in her early 20s and let me help guide her because I don't want her to make the mistakes I made. Well, I don't want her to make, make bad mistakes at all. There's a disconnect. There's no there's no Ruth and Naomi type of relationship going on mm -hmm. here like it was in the Bible where, you know, older woman can, can grab a young woman and say, let's go on this journey together. We need right. that. That's one of the missions of Royal Empress. Absolutely. So I was reading, and you and I were talking about this before we, we got on, um, I was reading your bio. So you've done some training for young women. Uh, you were part of, or maybe are you still a part of an organization? Is it called the Vanguard? Well, Vanguard is from the ages of 16 to 35. So okay. uh, that's, that's young women, you know, young teens being taught um, womanhood training. So uh, by the time you're 35, you know, you go from Vanguard and you move into a, a class of what we would call them MGT in the mm -hmm. Nation of Islam. These were women who have already received the training. They know how to cook. They know how to clean. They know how to take care of the husband. They know to act, how to act at home and abroad. They pretty much are well-together women. And so they move into another class. So the 16 and 35 is for the young sisters. And in that Vanguard training is where I learned to be security-minded. Wow. So how important is that? You know, one of the things that you were telling me when I, I, I brought this up before we got started is that this traces back centuries to, to, to Africa and, and our ancestors. Where do you think, you know, outside of the nation and outside of communities who understand this, where do you think that that got lost, the training, the pouring into one another, um, the developing an understanding of what it means to be a woman of a home? Tell us a little bit more about, from your experience and your research, what, what, where did you see the shift? Integration. Um, that's the biggest thing. Uh, we are not like other cultures. We are the original culture, and other cultures feed off of us, but we don't look at it that way. We're so lost with who we are, we don't realize who we are. It's like most black women. We don't look at ourselves as the prototype of woman. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of women who, who have told me I'm arrogant, and I said, why is that? They said, because of the way you carry yourself. See, I tell people, you know, I tell people what to think about me. 
because I'm God in nature. I'm I'm God in feminine form. I am God's first creation. See, black woman is God's first creation. But we walk around like we're not. How, how, how can we not walk around like and knowing that once you come into a realization of who God is and who you are, it ain't no stopping you. It's no stopping us as black women. And integration destroyed that because we had our Harriet Tubman's. I mean, we had our strong woman in history, Sojourner Truth. I mean, we had Ida B. Wells. We had strong women. But when integration comes in and we start living a life other than black people, we lose our sense of culture. It's like the movie Black Panda, Black, pa black Panther, excuse me. Is it's, it's like an incentive to for us to focus back on who we are and our origin and to and to reconnect. So I think that's the issue. We we got lost when we started trying to live the life of a Caucasian woman. Mm -hmm. We're not Caucasian. We're we're African women, and we should we should reconnect with our morals and our values. We don't live by pro African proverbs. We don't live by scripture. We live according to the world that the Europeans. Um, lives and they're not living a righteous world and this is why we our community is the way it is because when you're disconnected from God now you've just stepped away from his protection so now we're upset with uh, we're losing our children we're losing our men we're losing our minds it's all because we've stepped away from the very uh, person who can protect us who can nurture us and that's God so when, when you when you talk about your role as a spiritual soldier, it, it what you were just sharing made me think back on that. Oftentimes it we're we're taught to and I just want to get your feedback on this. We're taught to stay away from conversations about spirituality. I mean, most of us that, you know, people who I connect with, that's not the case, but many people feel very uncomfortable with it. Do you think that and do you think that people are not able to separate their differences with religion and how they view spirituality? And do you think that that has impacted in a negative way our community? And if so, uh, if so, how can we correct that? Um, and if not, just give me some feedback on that, because I, I see that there is a disconnect, especially the, young, the younger generation and millennials are really struggling um, with with spirituality. It definitely as it relates to their thoughts and what they were taught and how they use that to, to try to um, improve the climate of our communities. Well, how we can really get back is, is definitely accepting our own and being ourselves. That's, mm -hmm. that's the only way that we can get back. We have to separate. And realistically, to separate physically is not something you can do overnight, but we yeah. have to separate mentally. Mentally, as black women, we have to make in our minds, we have to ensure that God is the number one man. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that is where we have a discrepancy. And this is why our life is imbalanced because in the Holy Quran, it says God is that fulcrum. And the fulcrum is that piece on the scale that you move and it balance off the scale. That's the issue with us. Our disconnection with God is why we're all faced and why we're not happy. We're not going to ever be happy until we're balanced, until we come into the realization of who we are. Our children are not going to ever be in order. Our husband is not going to ever reach his potential because we're not being the instrument of God that we were created to be. We won't accept our own and be ourselves. We won't understand our nature. People don't want to accept the truth because they're so far from it. And they don't want to, they don't want to stop doing the wickedness they're doing. They don't mm -hmm. want to let go of the fake God that they're living. The minute we stop believing that God is white, I'm telling you, it would be a change in our mindset. We're so far away from the truth, it's ridiculous. But when someone comes to us and we want to reject it, 
uh, a wise woman told me, if you want, if you are confused, go pray to God and ask him to give you the power of discernment mm-hmm. and then come back to that decision. And that could change. That could be the course of the change of your life. If you, you know, people, everybody has their truth and everybody's coming with what they feel is right. But how are you able to discern? You got to go to God and ask him to give you his, his coloring, his way of seeing things. Mm-hmm. It, it, that will, and you have to be humble. See, we're not, we're so arrogant that we don't, we're so arrogant to a God. We don't even want to bow to him. We don't want to be honest with him. We want to get on our knees and do some pray, some fake praying, but we don't really get on our knees and be truthful and say, I'm in error. I need some help. I need some guidance. Right. So I think as long as we accept on and be ourselves and understand who, where we fit in this, in this Trinity is man, woman, child. That's the true Trinity. Mm. That goes back to Egypt. We need to study ourselves. I remember Minister Farrakhan saying, the key to you progressing spiritually is to go back and study yourself. Go back to the womb. I took that journey. I went back to my mother and said, what was, what was, what was I like in your stomach? How was I born? And it was there where I found out I was premature. I found out how, that I almost died. I mean, I found out so much about my life, and it just really shed light on my personality and said, wow. You know, so mm-hmm. we don't study self. And, and, and in our lack of journey or desire to study for self, we walk around here. We have no idea who we are. So we'll, we definitely won't be acting accordance to do the will of God because we don't even know, know who we are. And, and to your point, I've, I noticed that, you know, some of the older generations, they, our grandparents, great-grandparents, some of them, not all, but some of them, I can attest to, some of them really don't want to talk about their journey. And so a lot of information has been lost. Um, I know my, my husband has struggled understanding his family and their legacy and who they are and who he is and who was who and who married what and when and where. And, they, and, and some of my family as well, they, they just don't, they just shut down. They don't want to talk about it. You know, they had their kids and they want to raise them. Do you think there's been a disconnect in oral history and just passing down information? Because right now it's, it's hard for people to go back and reach and try to put pieces together. You think that maybe there's uh, some type of social conditioning where our, our ancestors just were afraid to talk about it? Or were they just traumatized? Or they didn't want to talk about it? Mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of it is to pass down our identity and our culture was forbidden in slavery. Mm-hmm. If you were found teaching the language, you, you know, they could, your children could be taken from you. That's right. Uh, you could be brought out in front of everybody, tied up to a tree and spanked because you were looked at as being, or you were portrayed by the slave masters being a rebel. And so now you're being outcasted by the slave master from your own people. And, and out of fear, your own people are like, man, why don't you shut up? Why don't you why don't you be quiet? You know how we are, right? We mm-hmm. are now when someone wants to speak truth. You making it hard for us. So I mean, we, our people have been conditioned based out of trauma, that fear. Mm-hmm. And we don't as black women, we don't realize that that trauma and fear, we pass that on to our children, definitely our daughters, through DNA. So it's been statistically, I mean, it's been proven, been researched. So I mean, we pass that down to our people and this is where a lot of the pain come from we have pain that we carry and we don't even know the origin of it why because it's been passed down for generation to generation to to have your children snatched out of your arms and sold up the road and to never be seen again is traumatic mm-hmm. so how can we have a strong black family when our children could be taken from us at any moment then and now dcf can come to your house anytime and take your children I mean, a birth certificate is a, it proves that, we, that our children are a ward of the state. They belong to the state. They don't belong to us. We're just guardians. Mm-hmm. 
So we are so traumatized emotionally that we can't even connect to what's in, that we should be connecting to. We can't fully love each other because of fear and trauma. I think that's the issue with us. We have to understand that we are traumatized and that we do have pain and it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to let it out and we have to be supportive to one another. And once that type of thinking is promoted in our community, we'll bring it together. You know, when you were speaking, it reminded me, and I want to say it may have been under um, the film Hidden Colors where our sister, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Shazard Ali, she was saying that Black women have been conditioned to not want to brag on our children because in during slavery, you know, you don't you don't want your child to be taken from you. So if someone says, you know, like my son name is Thomas, oh Thomas is so smart, he's so bright. You know, my fear because of what has happened to our people, I'm like, oh no, he all right. It's, mm-hmm. Oh, that boy okay. <laughs> we 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 dumb it down a little bit because historically. You know, if you have a bright, not maybe back then they didn't want our kids reading and all that, but if you have a strong child, a, a, a man child that they, they can see as a financial gain, you may lose that child. And so the black woman is trained to not um, celebrate the advancement of our children. And, that, and that, when you said to make me think about that, her saying that, because that really touched me, that, you know, that, that fear has been passed down. It's been passed you down. Know, you know that, that you brought up an excellent point, because think of, now in, in that light, put a flip on that and, and think about it as we raise our children and why we oftentimes don't raise them to be great. Because for, we know, I mean, in the Bible, it talks about Herod was trying to find a, the, 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 trying to find Jesus. He wanted to destroy him. This is true today. That's only parable or story just to describe today. Uh, the European is looking for the black Messiah. He can't afford another Jesus. So he's looking. And what do we do with our children? We, 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 we curb their potential. We don't teach them to own, to, to own your own and be yourself, to own your own business. We teach them go to school, do everything that you got to do to survive in this European's world so that you won't be ostracized, so that you won't be uh, destroyed or killed. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that protection, we don't realize as an attempt to protect our children, we really we're stifling them. We're not allowing them to be the child or to go up to be the adult that God created them to be. So we become an adversary to God unintentionally, but we become that adversary because God, he gives, he's, he's like the author of, I mean, he's going to make a Jesus for every generation. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be a, some young man that's going to do something that's going to be great for the people. But because of our fear of destruction, we fear the European more than we fear God himself. Mm-hmm. And that comes from a lack of knowledge of who God is. Right. right. That's heavy. That's real heavy. But I definitely, I definitely agree with you. You know, so <clears throat> considering that as, as you have grown spiritually and you collect this knowledge, you've also earned your doctorate. Is it an organizational leadership? Yes. And tell us a little bit more about that. I, you know, I can attest to that journey, but I'm curious about, about yours and how that has um, helped you on your walk. It's helped, but it hurt at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. You understand when you have your, your, your doctorate. In that training, I mean, like in my residency, the first thing they said in, uh, where I had the doctor who was addressing the whole class, he says, forget about 
medical doctors being a doctor. They're practitioners. You're the real doctor because you're the master of your subject. And no one's going to be able to tell you about your subject. So basically, when it comes to your research, you're the superior one in the room. You're the one with the knowledge. Everyone else is just subordinate to information that you're going to be giving them. So that in itself uh, trains you to think that when you're in an environment and you see inferior knowledge, you're going to challenge that. You're going to try to shut it down. So in certain environments, that's going to be a problem because you're going to see the better way to do things. You're going to see the culture is horrible. It takes a person like that to see that a culture of organization is horrible. Some people deem a, a, a culture that's toxic to be normal. That ain't normal. But when you have that type of training, you walk in an environment and say, I could change all of this. Mm -hmm. But there are going to be people who are adverse to change. And not just averse to change, they're going to be averse to who is this black woman coming in here trying to tell us how to run our organization. So, I mean, you've seen that. That mm -hmm. The more education you have, especially at a doctorate degree level, it's intimidating for a lot of people. So it, it does both. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to being able to resolve the problems that our people are experiencing, the, the problems in our black community, gives you a, a knowledge to, to correct that. You know, you can you can put because of the training of the of the doctorate. I mean, you you've gone through it. The rigorous training of people sitting you in a room and challenging you you on your topic and, and challenging you on how real to make your your topic. I had one topic. I had to change it. It was the topic that I originally wanted was if black people was taught black history twelve months out the year, how would that affect our our self-identity, how would it affect our performance in society? I got drilled on that. Like, what kind of topic is that? Like, how long is it going to take you to even complete that? You only got a year to do your dissertation. So how long is it going to take you to even do the research for that? And so I was destroyed in that room. But it makes you stronger because it makes you say, okay, put aside the excitement or emotion of something you want to do. How do you bring it to life? How do you make it happen? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I changed my topic altogether. Um, but it taught me you want to make change. It has to be realistic or what's not going to ever happen. Mm -hmm. See, people have excellent ideas, but then it never comes into fruition because they don't know how to do it. And, and that journey of being on that doctorate, meaning that you've mastered your topic. You are the, you the master. So it, about that topic, you're the only one that can teach on that. So, I mean, it, it gives you that type of confidence, but also gives you a lot of responsibility now that you have that. Now, what are you going to do to help your community? Now I have to say, what am I going to do to help my community? And Royal Empress is one of those uh, strategies right. to, to, to get back to my community. And that's the thing a lot of people don't understand is that oftentimes that doctoral journey is not necessarily just for you to climb the ladder. Let's say you're nine to five, but there's so many other areas of our community where they need that leadership and they, they, they definitely can use the skill set that we bring. And so I definitely can agree with you on that. What would, if you don't mind sharing, what are your, your research interests now? I know that they kind of shut that down, which you originally planned though, but from that, from that experience, what, what have you developed in terms of an interest in research? Well, I, I, you know, it's, I love research, so it doesn't matter what the topic is. I've been researching melanin mm -hmm. and, you know, with the organs, us being killed for our organs so much, it made me say, what's this deal? Let's, let me research melanin. So, you know, as black people with our low self-esteem, you know, I always like to question people, especially some of my brothers and sisters that I've heard say things 
that that lets me know they have low self-esteem. So this one brother, I walk up to him and, and I wanted to use the research, but I wanted to challenge him in his thinking. I said, how much is gold per gram? He's like, I don't know. I said, you should know that's one of the most um, valuable assets in the world. You should know what it costs a gram. He's like, well, I don't know. I said, how much does melanin cost a gram? He's like, I don't know. I said, you should. You're full of it. I said, you're one of the darkest, darkest skinned, skinned brothers that I know. I said, and beautiful dark skin, I might add, but That's right. do you know how much melanin is in your skin and how much it's worth? He's like, no. I said, well, I'm going to give you a little, uh, give you some information. Very valuable. I said, gold is at approximately $40 a gram, but uh, melanin is at $400 a gram. You do the math. And I just walked away from him, but he had this look like, I don't understand that. As people, we need to understand our value and understand how valuable or how much value we bring to somebody when we're dead. It's people that can't live without melanin. That's melanin right. is used, you know, our sales, like me, like Henrietta Lacks. I mean, they came up with, uh, mm -hmm. just from using her sales, came up with a decutor diseases, many diseases for the European race. So we have to look at that and say, well, well, what is the value of the black man and woman? Why are we being killed for our work? Mm -hmm. We have to understand that. And so I'm always looking for ways to research our people, what value we bring, what in, what, how important that information is, and what can we do to help build our society off that information. So Yeah. And and that, that ties into your role as an educator because I just loved how you challenged that brother and said, Well, you you should know this. You should know this. You're full of it. You have it. It's in you. God blessed you with this. People don't think yeah. about that. No, we're so busy hating on ourselves and, mm -hmm. and then somebody tell you, you got a broad nose or I used to I, you know, I have a big forehead and I used to you know, I was teased for me growing up, even family members. But I hated it for so long. I had low self I had low self esteem because of that. And it uh, wasn't until I come to the realization or learned about my culture that my mother's side and family is Ethiopian. That is a trait of Ethiopian people. Now, we, we find reasons to hate ourselves, but we don't, if, if we find some reason to hate ourselves, we don't go and research where the origin of that comes from. So mm -hmm. It's very important for us to know who we are. Why, don't, why do we get broad noses? Why do we get thick lips? You know, why do we have melanin? You know, melanin is a natural sunscreen. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't... You know, so we have some of our brothers and sisters walking around hating themselves. Um, I was told I was black. So what? You are black. That's but right. You, but you're beautiful. You know, the universe is black. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. we don't, we, because of our lack of study of self is the reason why we have issues with self-hatred. There was a young man um, I was talking to in the prison. So he's yelling at the top of his lungs in a hospital environment. So I put him to the side. I said, come here, let me talk to you. I said, why are you yelling? Well, I want to be heard. I said, okay. Why you got red? His hair is red. So he had like twist in his hair. But it was dyed red. I said, why is your hair red? He said, because I want people to see me. I said, young man, when you walk into the room, everybody's going to see you. Look at your beautiful skin. I said, you have melanin. I said, that's all you need. You don't need anything else. That is the most powerful asset in the world. And you got it. You don't need to be heard. Because your, mel your melanin speaks for you when you walk in the room. He was quiet. He just couldn't. It was something he had never heard before. So these are some of the things we should be teaching our children. Mm -hmm. why, are you, why are you special? You're the original people on the planet. When God said, I'm going to make a person, he made us. Now, the young men need to understand that you're not God's 
first creation because you're him. He created himself. And after he created himself, it's easy for him to duplicate himself in you. So you represent God. That's what makes you special. And then our young ladies need to be taught, you are God's first creation. The earth is your presence. Now, that's a powerful man to give his woman an earth. I don't know what greater gift you can give somebody, right, outside of life. But our young daughters need to be taught that you are God's first creation. Every other woman on the planet is a prototype of you. Right. And, you know? and that's not being spread. That's not being taught at all, you know. Um, no. And I'm not knocking the sisters out there that's you know adding um to their bodies you know but it's at the same time it's it's concerning because it makes me wonder what conversations were had at home to lead you to do some of the things you're doing to your body to make yourself look like somebody that you were not born to look like um so it's it's, it's not the message is not really being stressed like it should it, it was lost somewhere somewhere along the lines and it's, it's so unfortunate though but this is why you are so important in the work that you're doing um you absolutely are an educator, though. I mean, whenever I listen to you, I learn something new every time. What would ha- have have you? And, and I I know the answer to this, but for the for the sake <laughs> of the audience, have you have you taught before? Are you teaching? What what are some yeah. of the things you're doing with that? Yeah, I actually taught. I like to teach at a college level. Um, I don't think I have enough patience for children. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and may I may might could do some programs, but just to put me in elementary, I don't know. I I, I believe in discipline, so I'll probably be grabbing the little children around. They call it saying, mm-hmm. "Sit down, shut up, and listen to what mm-hmm. I got to say." So I'm probably not cut out for that. But I I I, I taught at a college level, so I taught it at, at one college, very well known. I won't talk. I won't say their names mm-hmm. because I didn't. I left there because I didn't agree with the. Uh, ideology of teaching mm-hmm. you can't learn a topic in five weeks I'm sorry that accelerated learning I didn't like that because I just think you're you're pushing people through the learning process too fast it, it, it's unnecessary you know too many classes I don't agree with that philosophy um, one of the things that I, I definitely hated about the class the school that I was teaching at as an instructor these these students had teams you could not manage their conflict the conflict within their group you couldn't Mm -hmm. so i had a student come to me and say hey i got this four of us in a group four or five students in a group he says to me it's me and another girl doing the assignment the other three are doing nothing Mm. guess what my answer was was to him and and it was based on what the school wanted me to tell him go back to your uh group plan your group strategy sheet and you read off what your conflict resolution plan is and you act accordingly that man looked at me like <laughs> I could read his mind. It was like, you're useless. And I said, and I, and I walked away saying to myself, I heard you loud and clear. You're right. I am useless. I cannot teach you. Mm. So I stepped away from that school. Then I went to another school and when I was teaching and, and, and that was brick and mortar, but I started teaching online and this was to a military school that was only for military. But when I started, they had just started opening up the school for everyone. I don't like teaching online. I, it's, it's no connection. So I said, you know what? If I can't teach at HBCU, I, I don't want to teach. Uh, so at this point, I, I, I'm, you know, trying to teach at maybe some close HBCUs, but I mm. don't want to do. It's not many. It's not many close to Chicago, but I would like to have relationship with my students, lifelong relationships. And if you're rushing people through classes and you can't guide them 
what's the point of teaching? What's the point of being a professor? So I stepped away from teaching for a minute and I'm just like, it's not what I want to do. Not that way. I want to teach, but not in that manner. And so for yeah. me, it didn't it fare well. But I've, I've done a lot of research in all the diff, on different HBCUs and I said, I think they match the philosophy that I match. So I'm, I'm definitely looking in that direction. Okay. Sounds good. Well, if you step into that, I'm going to have to go ahead and enroll in some type of class or something because I'm always a student. <laughs> so, you know, Dr. Hakima teaching, you know, I'm going to have to go ahead and enroll. You know, I, it's never, look, I'm, I'm never done learning. So um, I am not beyond taking another course, but um, especially when there's a strong leader, you know, involved. So you mentioned your work in corrections, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm still fascinated over. You know, the, level of work and energy and I know the challenges that you probably face every day if you don't mind sharing how how did that transition take place in your life and what are your thoughts on some experiences that you have well, I was trying to to leave corporate America and do something mm-hmm. different so mind you I started there before I got my doctorate so mm-hmm. um, I was there before that and okay it, 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 I would say this, it, it's the belly of the beast. Mm-hmm. And it's not, uh, if you're a righteous person, it's going to affect you spiritually because it's not a righteous place. And, and rightfully so, you're dealing with the worst of the worst people. So, of course, it's not going to be rightfully so. It does something to your soul when someone who can kill women, rape their corpse, corpse, and then try to tell you, try to advise you on spiritual topics, it, it's, it, it's disturbing. Or for a child or a child murderer to tell you that they're fully they're fully uh, rehabilitated, but you ask them how you can say that when you're not around children. I mean, so to be in an environment with psychopaths daily, it it, it it challenges your spiritual faith. But I will say this: my time in, in doing personal security or, or being a soldier in the nation of Islam has definitely prepared me because if you could secure someone who got a death threat. And you can take that assignment, understanding that whatever happens to you, I mean, whatever happens to that person, you get it and still take that assignment with no fear, then you can take, you can work in anybody. Cause mm-hmm. I did security on Winnie Mandela and may, may, may Allah be pleased with her. I had the pleasures of being chosen to do security for her. And I was the point person and anybody knows security maneuvers. The point person is in front of the, the principal or the person you're securing. So if they are assassinated, you catching that bullet just like them. How it goes, you're going to get hit. So, I mean, just taking that assignment, knowing that when she stepped in America, that there were some African tribes that didn't want her here that were saying, we're going to kill her when she comes here. So I took that assignment knowing that. So in corrections, whenever I feel a sense of fear, I think about, look at the road that you traveled. You, you survived that. This ain't nothing. And so that's the mentality that I take when I come in. So I have no problem walking in a cell with some murderers. I have no problem escorting them. I have no problem interacting with them. I have no problem saying, you know, my I have this turn when I'm verbally assaulted. And not to be vulgar, but my terminology is, are we going to fuck or are we going to fight? Which one are we going to do? And so that sends a message to them, like, they get confused, like, what does she mean by that? Mm. So I'm not sexually intimidated by you, and I'm not physically intimidated by you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when men are in the environment, they're the majority, 
and the women are the minority, it becomes a battle to control her. And I remember Mr. Farrakhan speaking on one lecture and he says, if a man controls your thinking, your body will follow. Mm -hmm. And so those men will try to get in your head as a woman. They'll compliment you. They'll do everything. They'll threaten you. Whatever they feel they can do to break you, they will try it. I just refuse to submit in that environment because I refuse to submit to anyone outside of Allah. I won't do it. And so I, my, my approach to it is very aggressive one. Only when the, when the situation requires that. But those men will try to scare you. They will threaten to rape you. They will threaten to kill you. They will do all of that. And so, and what they do is they wait to see if that rattles you, if that breaks you. And if you run out crying, they know they got you. Now you're a target for everybody who witnessed that. But if you're a person that stands strong, you know, my reputation is, God say, man, leave her alone. She ain't going. Mm. So the guy say, I ain't never had an interaction with her, so I'm going to try it anyway. He later becomes a believer. He'll tell the next one, oh, man, she ain't going. You need to leave her alone. Whatever you trying ain't going to work. So it becomes a, 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 a spiritual struggle where every day I go to work because the devil is busy. Mm. And, the, and, the, the, there's a, and it has nothing to do with me. There's a war between God and the devil. And the prize is the black woman. So the devil, if he can control the black woman, he's, he feels that he's victorious with God because he knows that that's God's garden. That's his woman. You know what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. you have to show any man, not just an incarcerated man, it's any man that he don't rule you. And if anything he requires from you is, is adverse to what God wants for you, then you shouldn't be going. Because that's the difference between a righteous man, discerning a righteous man from a wicked man. Mm -hmm. A righteous man wouldn't ask you to do anything that's adverse to your nature or adverse to your role or your submission to do the will of God. But a devil would. So mm -hmm. I, just in that environment, I've seen the worst of men. And so my perception of men is just totally different than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have had conversations um, where we've discuss the type of almost I, I'm call, I call them mentorship because it's just a word that I'm used to using but you know it, it you may call it education but the type of conversations that you've had with some of the gentlemen that you work with um and you've had to remind them of who they are who they're meant to be and it takes them a little while sometimes to kind of get it, you know, because it's not something that they hear every day. Just like what, what you just referenced, how you talk to them, they, they're a little taken off guard by that. But I'm pretty sure they go back and they think about that like, wow, you know, and these are people who are in a situation where they can't leave. But I'm sure you've left something for them to think about, you know, as a reflection of their how they were brought up, what they had, what they didn't have, the decision that they make. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, how your conversations have influenced or empowered um, the men who are incarcerated. And, and, and if you think that there is an opportunity for people to, you know, change their life around, whether or not they have to spend some more time in there or when they are able to get out in the world, it, how, how has that, how have you seen over your, your years of your time there and working in, in the field that you work in, how have you seen the, the conversations you've had with them impact their, the way they look at themselves? I can't say it's a pack how they look at themselves. Mm -hmm. It impacts their behavior when I come around. Okay. Because I'm not able to, it's a, in a prison setting, you're not able to really see if what you're teaching them really works because mm -hmm. they're in a cell. 
You know what I mean? That's a that's the belly of the beast. And even if somebody wants to be right, that environment itself is a, a impediment for them to try to be right. It's chaotic. It's crazy. It's dangerous. So you really can't tell. But can I can I see that the seed is being planted? That is being watered. I, I'll say that I could plant the seed. I can't water it. That's up to God to water it. And I'll give you an example. I'll come in. The, I'll come in the room, and it could be inmates everywhere. And I'll say, up against the wall. I said, you see, you know what to do when you see God. And so they get on the wall, and some of them say, Who are you? You ain't God. I said, I am God. I said, I am God. God don't create nothing but a God. I said, the problem is you don't realize that you're God. So some of them just. You know, that's that's something new to them. A lot of our young men have not ever heard anything like that. I said, you are God, but yet you're acting like a devil. Why is that? I said, you have no birth records. There's no scientist that can prove when you came into existence, but yet you're acting like you've only been here 6,000 years. The very person that enslaved you been here 6,000 years, but you have no birth record, and you let him out thank you. Mm. And some of them are so quiet, they're sitting there like, so I may see them two or three weeks later and say, here come God. Y'all better get back. Y'all better get in order. Mm. And I, cause I tell them, I said, God wants order. I said, so when you see me, I'm calling order into existence. Get up against the wall, put your hands behind your back. So for some of them, they're repeated. So I know they listen. And I, sometimes I hear them talking where you tell them, man, I'm God, man. I ain't got time for that. Mm. And I, I laugh because the seed has been planted. The real test comes from when they get out of there. What yeah. are they going to return back to? Are they going to are they going to submit to those negative forces that got them in there? Or are they going to try to find another way? And so, for many of them, you know, they'll accept that. You know, I had one young man. I caught him running on a gallery, so I said, "Come here." So he comes back to me. I said, "Why are you running?" He said, "Cause I saw you." I said, obviously he was doing something wrong, wasn't he? He said, yeah. I said, but you don't never run from a woman. You're a man first. I said, first of all, look me in my eye when I'm talking to you. I said, before, I, before I'm an officer, I'm a woman. And before you're an inmate, you're a man. I said, you don't ever run from no woman. And you don't ever not look no woman in her eye when you're talking to her. I said, because you're a man first. He gets upset. He walks away like whatever. So maybe a month later, he reminds me because I forgot. He's like... Hey, I remember what you said to me. And I said, I said a lot of things. What did I say to you? He said, you told me that I should always look a woman in the eye when I'm talking to her. Mm. He said, Marcelli said you were right. And so he said, I'm going to always look at people in the eye when I'm talking to them. I said, yeah, because looking away shows weakness. Yes. I said, I don't care how wrong you are. When you talk to people, you look them in the eye. You just man up and say, yeah, I was wrong. But you man up and you hold yourself accountable. But you don't never run off. Well, you don't ever turn away because that shows that you've been conquered. Mm -hmm. And so he remembered that and that made an impact on him. Now, you know, a lot of those guys don't have a lot of time. They might be spending uh, a couple of months, a couple of months or a couple of years. Some of them get out. A lot of them don't. A lot of them, that's, that's it for them. But all I could do is drop a seed. Now, do they repeat stuff back to me? I don't know if that's, if it's effective. I just, hope and pray that it, it, it reaches one or two. If it could save one or two people, at least have them thinking like, man, I never heard nothing like that. Hopefully that changes them. Right, right. Well, it's interesting because as we talk about spirituality and being a spiritual soldier, 
And then even through our conversation with your work and in the jail system, you're, you're, you're having conversations about these men, with these men, about themselves, the God that's in them and how they view themselves. But one of the things that, you know, I think many people can attest to, if you've ever had a loved one or even just looking at movies or just hearing from friends and family, who I, who's, who either they are the, the, themselves or they know someone who's gone to jail and they have found Islam or they found some type of spiritual connection in prison. Why do you think that is from your experience? Why do you think that is, is more, they're more likely, and I shouldn't say more likely, but there seems to be a pattern where it's, it's, it sticks, you know, starting sometimes in the prison system, then they come out a different person because they found God in a different way than maybe they have been taught or maybe for the first time ever. Why do you think that is? Because when all us fails, God is everybody's option. Mm. When you about to, you see you about to see death, what do people say? Oh, God, mm -hmm. right? Prison is like death. I mean, to see, to see people get stabbed or to see people, you go to a cell when the one guy beats up the other guy in the cell, he could kill him. I mean, it ain't no secrets in the joint, as they say. A guy could kill another person. A guy could, you could hear a man getting raped in the cell next to him. That's terrifying. Some guys come in there and they're like, I can't, I can't lock back up. Why? I ain't locking back up. Or they do things and then you, you pull them away. What's going on with you? And they say, my celly raping me. Mm. That changes, that changes people's perspective. And they say, I got to get myself together. I hear so many guys say, I got to get myself together. I got children. Mm. And so sometimes that cool reality of life is just to go at any moment people realize for some people their solace is religion some people's solace is in creativity some people find out that they could draw <laughs> in prison some people find out that they can write in prison because there's no distraction i mean you can get involved in gang activity or anything else but if you have no distractions it's easy for you to focus on self that's the place where they start hearing their subconscious because mm. I've had guys say, I'm hearing voices. I said, what that voice saying? I said, that ain't no voices. That's your conscience. You just never listened to it before. So oftentimes, it's their conscience or that they're listening to when they say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really listen to this this time because there's no drugs to distract them, no friends to distract them, no women to distract them, uh, no, no, no fast life, no robbing, nothing like that to distract them from listening to the voice within. So for many guys, it's a life-changing experience because when they get out, they're like, you know what? It ain't worth this. I talked to a guy that's serving like 15 years, right? Mm. And he told me, he said, you know, I did this for loyalty to a gang. He said, they never came to visit me. They never put no money on my book. He said, I got children. He said, they didn't care nothing about my children. He said, so I learned now that loyalty to a gang don't mean nothing because them same people ain't going to care nothing about you when you locked up. And he right, because I'm going to tell you who the visitors are when they come. It's women. Mm -hmm. Majority of the visitors come as women, and you'll see a sprinkle of men who may be fathers, uncles, brothers. But majority of the people that's coming to that prison to see them inmates are women. It's mothers, sisters, girlfriends, wives. So that, that for some guys, that, that changes because they realize the very people they thought loved them really don't love them. Now, mm -hmm. true indeed, if you have a record, you can't go see somebody in prison. That's true. But everybody ain't got no record. And if you a guy and your friend is locked up and you can't go see him, you could send somebody else to see him and say, hey, homie couldn't come see you, but he told me to tell you this. Or you can write him. You can, you can write a letter to him. And so 
that that's a hard reality because when people are locked up, they miss weddings, they miss funerals, they miss all kind of life changing events, birthdays. Mm-hmm. And so that's hard on an inmate. Oh, my mother just had a birthday, or my mother's in the hospital. Or I just found out guy I was talking to found out his daughter got killed while oh, he was wow. incarcerated. One young one young man told me his daughter got raped by his girl, his baby mama's boyfriend. He couldn't do nothing for his child because he was locked up. So oh, for these guys, it's a lot of emotional trauma that they go through because they don't have access to their family. So, I mean, these guys are dealing with a whole lot. As an officer, I see it, but I can't get crossed up in it. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Because the minute I get crossed up in it trying to help them out, then I could do something unethical and lose my job. So I just, you know, I tell them I feel for you, but at the same time, I'm going to need you to lock back up because <laughs> I right. can't help you, but I can educate the public. Or I can educate a young man who's on that road to say, well, what happens if you if you if you locked up and your mother's in the hospital, you can't mm-hmm. go see him. They don't do they don't do those type of uh, furloughs anymore. When you take an inmate out for for medical or funeral reasons, those are called furloughs. They don't really do those yeah. because the family has to pay for that. And so you have to pay for the overtime of the officers. You have to pay for travel there. You got to pay for all that. And then even if they was to go, they can't see the whole family. So it's a lot that these inmates miss out on, and for some of them, that's an eye-opening experience. And then they'll find solace in religion or, or finding some type of gift. And so in essence, you're able to take the experience that you have from your regular workday, and you can apply that information to people who are still on the outside so they can hopefully avoid that. Yeah, I've done some speaking engagements uh, to you, and I had to well, I had a non-for-profit organization ask me to come in and speak. So I spoke to some young ones. They said, they're so fascinated with jail. Mm. And so I tell them, I say, you know, your cousin locked up. Did he tell you how many times another man ran up in him? I said, because if that man got AIDS and he run up in you, you're going to have AIDS too. I said, did he tell you that? He, and they're like, quiet. I said, did he tell you about the time that, you know, somebody got beat to death or almost beat to death? Did he tell you that? Did he tell you the time that, that, he, that someone told the officer or he, maybe he told the officer my cell is raping me. So what? We don't always care. I'm going to be honest with you. It's almost time for me to change my shift. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry you, you want to kill yourself, but I, I'm about to go home. I said, it's a very heartless business. Ain't no love in the joint. Ain't nobody there to love you. Don't nobody care about you. You can have the same clothing on for two, three months. Nobody cares. So to show them that, they were just sitting there like, you all would do that? I said, yeah, we do it every day. I said, sometimes we purposely want to put some guys in a cell with another guy and say, look, man, for extra trade, whoop his ass for me. I mean, we want to. Not saying that we do, but I mean, there are people say, man, if I could get away with it, I would do it because this person is, is a problem. Mm-hmm. Being locked up can make you a problem. You in a small cell with another person. That's, that's like half of a half of a bedroom in mm-hmm. an average house. So now this person is kicking, banging, screaming, and that's that's what you got to deal with every day. Officers get threatened every day. Officers get spit on every day. Officers get feces thrown on them. Officers get, uh, inmate will pull out his penis, ejaculate, put in a cup, and throw it on somebody. This is what they do. And so that will take an individual, a human being, and just say, I don't, I don't feel no more. Like me, I'm very aggressive now, which I've never been aggressive before. I'm aggressive toward men, and I've never been like that. Like, I have walked up in the cell and said, 
You said you're going to kill me. Let's go. You ain't supposed to do that. But <laughs> the sanity goes because when you're threatened every day, you know, you had a heightened level of fear. But it is, after that, you become numb. Yeah. And now you become a predator because in order to deal with a predator, you have to turn a predator into a prey. And so in the only way to survive in that environment, you have to become predator like. And so and you you will come across officers been there 10, 15 years. He's like, I don't care because I don't feel no more. The person could have had two or three divorces because he don't feel no more or she don't feel no more because of the environment that they've been in. So these are the people that's responsible for watching you or making sure you get what you need or even just to make sure you're safe. At some points, we just don't care. Yeah. You know, so it's a very stressful place and it turns uh, a person who works around those types of people. It does something to you spiritually. And if you're not spiritually rooted, you're gone. Many of my coworkers, they gone. Their answer to everything is alcohol bottle or sex or gambling because they just, they, they, they don't feel human no more. So, I mean, it's, it's real. But if you ain't spiritually rooted, that place will destroy you. But even if you're spiritually rooted, you have to, you can't be an angel in hell. <laughs> you're yeah. a target. So you have to disguise yourself. I disguise myself all the time. I'll be the worst person in the environment just to put a ring of fire around me like Moses did. You know, Moses had to put a ring around, around, around himself to protect himself. Mm -hmm. So I do that all the time. I'll do some crazy act just to keep people away from me. So some of the inmates say, she crazy. I said, good. And I won't be a target. So yeah. it, it's, it's serious. So when you tell people, and you explain to people that type of environment, then they get the picture like, no, jail ain't cool. No, because this ain't television, man. This ain't no 30-minute television special. This is real life. Well, how are you able to, at the end of the day, kind of wind down and adjust to your life as Dr. Hakima outside of that? You know, I, and I know that, you know, God is definitely playing a role in that. Do you have anything in particular that you do to kind of get back readjusted to your life outside of that? Prayer, mm -hmm. diet, <laughs> diet is number one. Very important. Trying to eat the right foods because your diet affects your behavior. Now that I'm so aggressive, I said, let me take red meat out of my diet because I have to put red meat in my diet to become more aggressive, to, to survive in that environment. So I said, mm -hmm. you know what? I could, change my behavior a little bit by diet uh, another thing i do is surround myself with people who do not work in that environment i you know it's a lot to say and Atila just don't know how much i love them because <laughs> i tell them all the time so they know but just being or talking to you it's like we're talking now i'm around someone who feels who's normal that's one of the things you have to do if you're in that environment you can't have friends that all work there because yeah. all of you all are numb. You're not normal. You have to be around people who feel so that you can reconnect with your feelings. It's like nerves. You know, they could be dead for a while, but all of a sudden, hey, hey, I'm starting to feel some feeling in the area that I wasn't feeling. Mm -hmm. So being around people who are human or who act human, who, who act ethical, brings me back. So definitely I submerge myself into Royal Empress. <laughs> because definitely that helps and just getting um, just um, recently being named vice commander of the Black Gun Owners Association Chicago chapter for Chicago and just being able to 
use that as a platform to reach our youth as far as educating them on gun violence and steering them away from prison and educating them. And so that helps when I can give back. It gives me a sense of civility. So tell us more about that. What, what, what all does that entail? What does that look like for you? Well, you know, as, as, as a people, you know, you know, we have a, a, the Second Amendment says that you have the right to bear arms. Well, you know, we don't teach that in our community. Other cultures do. You know, in, yes. a, in a white culture, they can have five, six-year-old in the gun range. We don't. But how many, how many issues do they have in their household where their children are playing with guns and killing each other? That's we right. make guns a mystery in our community. We all have mm -hmm. a gun, but we playing with it. A gun is not to play with. You never point a gun at anybody. I don't care if it's not loaded. You still don't point it because people are uneducated about guns. Guns don't kill people. It's the people who handle the gun that kills them. So our mission is to educate the youth and people in our community. Guns are, are good for defense. If you're a single mother and you live at home and you have your children, there's no man there to protect you. What's to stop some men from coming in your house? I actually had a conversation with a man who ran up in this woman's house with another guy and raped her in front of her children. And he thought it was funny. He thought he was a celebrity. So, I mean, we as women have to understand the importance of defending our household when there is no man there. But mm -hmm. again, this is not to be used. It's for defense purposes only. This ain't to be like the young woman that shot the young man in the car playing with the gun on face, Facebook Live. It's not to boost our ego and to make us feel tough. It's for defense purposes only. So with all the gun violence that is going on in our community, those of us who have knowledge of guns need to educate them, and that's where we come in. At. Now, can, how can one be and in, get involved with that effort? Is that open to um, people who, are, have, who have a FOIA card, who have the, the – I'm not sure. How does that work? To sell and carry class, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you, you need to be someone who's interested in trying to learn more about guns and, and want to own a gun, but you want to do it, you know, rightfully, of course, you want to go through concealed and carry, you want to be taught gun education, because that's very important. So a lot of people walking around with guns, but they're not taught or trained on the proper way of handling it. Mm -hmm. So that's where we come in it. So um, you definitely you can go to blackgunownersassociation.org and learn a lot about it. But we have a Chicago chapter, but you got to be in Chicago to join that chapter. So that's the chapter I'm affiliated, affiliated with. It's a Chicago chapter. But there are chapters all over the country. But it, it, it personalizes gun knowledge and gun information to our people because it's coming from someone that looks like you, someone that has you in their best interest. Because a lot of those gun groups really don't want us to be a part of their group. So we have right. something for ourselves. But some, someone who's, who has a desire to educate our children because too many of our children are being, are losing their lives to gun violence. Too many of our children are playing with guns because they think that that's cool or that's fun. We got to take that mindset out of our children's mind. It's not cool to play with guns. It's not cool to walk around with a gun. That's not the purpose of a gun. It's not to help your image. It's not to increase your swag. And so oftentimes our children look at guns in the wrong way and we need to educate our children so that we can save lives and, and honestly dr hakima my confession right now is that you have brought a lot of comfort to me and my spirit because 
this conversation has been had in my home. And although I understand the theory behind introducing the child in a safe way so that they're not too curious so that they understand mm-hmm. what a gun is for, it, it sounds so much more comforting coming from a, a mother and a woman than from honestly my husband. Because because even, even though I know he means well, I know that he is built to be a provider and a protector. And sometimes I'm wondering like, okay, are you just, you just going too far with this thing or what? But when I hear, <laughs> but when I hear from another mother, it, it, it makes a difference because the, the conversation that was had about, okay, when and how do we introduce our son um, to gun and to gun safety? Like it's, it, it was, I, I was concerned. I, I got it. I understood, but I wasn't ready to really hear it. And so it, it makes a difference hearing it from you, to be honest with you. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. That's the whole point. The whole point of us trying to educate people about weapons, especially women, because that's the first teacher to the child. Yeah. So in many um, households, there's no man in there to teach them. So if yeah. we educate the mothers, then we can educate the children. It's nothing wrong with having weapons in the home. You just have to be proactive and you can't, you can't make it to the point it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. You have to, I, my children were handling guns at uh, maybe four or five. My husband would give them instructions. My husband served in the military. So for him, weapons were so easy. He's also mm-hmm. in law enforcement as well. But however, his introduction to weapons, oh, I did this. You know, my dad was in the military. So I understand military. I grew up in a household with mostly military people. So for me, always being around guns, it's, it's, I understood that you don't play with them. I used to play hide and go seek and I'd have behind the door. And right behind me was a 12-gauge shotgun. Didn't play with it because mm-hmm. of the way I was taught and educated about guns at a young age. Uh, I was even allowed to shoot a BB gun at a certain age as an introduction to guns. And then later, now you're old enough where we trust you and we know you're educated enough to handle this gun. So I think it's important to, to teach your children. And even if you don't ever own one, just the education of a gun because some children you know they need to have educate uh, gun education in schools when is it a good time to play with a gun raise your hand uh wrong never a good time to play with a gun if a gun is unloaded it's okay to point at someone you know some children would say yeah it's unloaded no it's not just because there's nothing in a cartridge does not mean it's not one bullet in the chamber mm-hmm. and a lot of people make that mistake oh it ain't loaded boom they're playing Russian relay or it goes off. One thing our children need to be taught, you don't ever put your hand on a trigger. That's not how you pick up a weapon. And, I, and our children do that. You don't pick up a weapon with your finger on a trigger. That's how accidental shootings happen. So, I mean, there's so much education in, in that that needs to be taught in our community because as our enemy keep bringing these guns in our community, the only way to stop that destruction from guns by ourselves, on ourselves, is we have to educate our children on weapons. We have to educate our people on weapons. And so that will help stop that. What my enemy give me to destroy myself with, I'm going to use that to educate myself with, and I'm going to overcome that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it's, you know, and I feel bad. I mean, no disrespect to my husband. I love him and respect him, but it, it's, you know, I grew up with guns too. And, and I being a mom of a, of a black son, it freaks me out, but I also understand that it is important. You know, I have to look at his life beyond his years with us and understand that he needs to, he needs to understand early. Um, but it, it definitely, it, I feel good knowing that there's, there's a, uh, a queen and a mother out there who <laughs> who can attest to this and 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 can really 
you know, show our children, you know, what, what they need to know, because you're absolutely right. Other cultures absolutely start their kids young. And I know that I'm, I, I understand that, but it's still hard, but I guess we like to wear rose color lenses sometimes and I'm guilty of that. So, you know, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad you stressed that. Uh, in educating our children about guns, it's not always educating them in the manner in which they would be the one using it. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell my daughters, if you are with your friends, and someone pulls out a gun, you leave immediately. Don't stand there and wait and watch and see what's going on. That's one of the things that we need to teach our children. You shun that person with a gun. If we teach all our children that playing with guns are not fun, when someone goes to do that, oh, that's, this, that's not cool, then they won't do that. Yeah. But if a child pulls out a gun, you need, you need to be reporting that, or you need to be, uh, or I'm, I'm away from this, so you need to be identifying what they got in their hand. Some guns have a, a safety mechanism and some do not so i mean you know we have to be mindful of how we teach our children too because you don't necessarily have to be pro-gun to educate your children on gun safety because they need to understand oh if someone has a gun what do you do if they start shooting do you run or do you hit the ground you need to hit the ground because bullets they travel faster than we're running so if we start running and somebody's shooting in a direction that we're running, we're going to be hit more than likely. Mm-hmm. Got to be teaching our children all around the proper way of the proper behavior when you're around guns, whether someone's shooting at you or whether someone's playing with it, because that will better increase our knowledge of, of guns. Right. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I, you know, I really enjoy talking to, um the queens from the royal empress and you all have really enlightened me so much i i'm not going to hold you too long because i know you are busy and you've had a long day but i want to ask you about your work as a consultant and what type of areas do you offer support with oh well i've I've done consulting in many areas definitely security consulting because i know security especially when it comes to personal security like entertainers i've done that i've done dignitaries I've been around them, so I understand the importance of security. I've done that. I've done small business consulting. What pulled me away from consulting was usually with someone who owns a business. Most of the time, their company doesn't grow is because they're the problem. Mm. And then once you confront them and say, your company's not moving forward because it's you, oh, they don't want to hear that. So that don't always fare well, and that made me step away from it. But Mm. I do have experience in consulting small business entertainment consulting i've done uh i can you name it if it's business i can do it how to uh, how, how to come into an environment and change the culture hands down i can do that um i've been in an environment i've done that especially in the sales environment so across the board as far as consulting if it's a business environment i can come in i can consult non-for-profit i can do that so I mean, I've been on the board of non-for-profit organizations, so I'm, I have thorough knowledge of that. I understand how organizations are supposed to run, and I know how to identify cultures that are mm-hmm. unhealthy for a work environment. So as far as consulting across the board, I've done it all. Okay. I'm still just uh, so impressed and just in, in all over the experience you had with um, Sister Winnie Mandela. That is phenomenal. I'm still stuck on it. I'm going to have to pull on you at a later time and ask you more about that. I mean, um, I didn't do it by myself. You know, it was like a yeah. team of us, but that was yes. one of the most humble people I've ever done security on. Celeb- celebrities can be the worst. 
I've actually have, have told people, you know what? Either you want me to secure you and you're going to listen to what I say, or I can just leave you right here and you can just walk by yourself. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as far as one of the most humble sisters I've ever done security on, next to uh, Mother Khadija Farrakhan, Winnie Mandela mm -hmm. is definitely one. Very humble sister. You would never, just being with her, you would never think that's who, you would, who I was with. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't feel like I'm with Winnie Mandela. She's so humble. And everywhere we said to go, she was not combative about it. She was like, I trust you all to mm -hmm. keep me safe. And that meant so much as a world icon for her to listen to us. Because I'm thinking like, you know, it's a bunch of 20-some-year-old women. But mm -hmm. she trusted us and she believed in us. And, man, that just made me feel so good, so powerful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. This has been such a great conversation. Well, if, if anybody wants to contact you, especially about some of the services that you offer, how can they do so? Oh, my email address is Hawk the Ruler, which is H-A-Q-Q, -Q, the ruler. That's my email address, Hawk the Ruler at gmail.com for any questions. But I definitely, you know, I push Royal Empress. I push Royal Empress every day. You can definitely reach us. Um, at royalempress.org to learn more about our organization. Um, also, you can find us on Facebook at um, Royal Empress. You can also find us at Conversations with the Royal Empress. Please join in on our podcast. We're on Google Play. We're on YouTube. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Podbean. Uh, we need you to check us out. It's a lot of wisdom being put on those podcasts. So please tune in, follow, share. Um, let's see what else you can find us on uh, Twitter also is at my royal empress and you can okay. also follow us on follow us on Instagram at I underscore M underscore the underscore royal underscore empress so we're something yes. everywhere <laughs> and, and I family I've got to tell you when I tell you this is my favorite podcast I'm so serious this is my favorite podcast because again we're talking about real conversations with three sisters who have sometimes different perspectives, but they come together for um, the overall betterment of our community. And some of the conversations that they've had, I mean, like, I'm, I literally drive and I'm like, I say out loud, wow, wow. I see that a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of wows. Um, or I'm talking out loud, you know, because I'm responding to something. <laughs> And, you know, that's how my family got involved with listening to because they're like, what are you in there talking about? What are you listening to? You know, and so we share and we, we it's, it's, it's become part of our, our Sunday night conversations or, you know, Monday evening, you know, we convene and we talk about, you know, the show. And so I have to really encourage everybody, please subscribe to the podcast and listen to it. Um, what, what do you have? Because as we close out this month, what do you think is, is coming along the, um, the pipeline for the organization? Oh, we got a lot of projects coming forward. Uh, we're definitely going to do some mentoring. Yes. Um, but our mentoring is, you know, a lot of people want to do a mentoring. They want to have mentoring with young children, like 12 to 16. Our mentoring is going to also be for young women in their mm -hmm. early 20s. They need guidance. Yes. And we need to bridge the gap between older sisters and our younger sisters. Uh, we have wisdom. We need to pass it down the pipeline. That's what we need to do. So you will see many of those projects coming up for Royal Empress. We, our first project was the podcast. Yes. And so 
we said, okay, we got the podcast out there. Now we're trying to roll with some more projects, but be looking out for future projects with uh, Royal Empress. And definitely you will find those out when you follow us on Facebook on the Royal Empress. Yes. Yes. Okay. So as we wrap up, do you want to share anything else with us, Dr. Hakima? God, you know what? Only thing I can share, you know, I like the challenge. Uh-huh. Don't bow to the created, bow only to the creator. Mm. So don't let anyone rule you when you know it's against your spiritual principles, your religious morals. Don't be comfortable with going along with what everyone else is doing because when God, when you have your meeting with your Lord, you can't go back. You can't say like the Quran say, just let me go back. I'll redo it. It ain't no do over with God. And so when you hear truth, you need to flock to it because that's his mercy. So whenever truth comes to you, He's chosen you for a reason. Listen to it. Because there are a lot of people who ain't getting no truth because he's closed off their hearts. So remember that. Mm -hmm. I hope that's a powerful enough uh, lesson to challenge people with. Try to be the, try to be a different person. Uh, Don't, don't be, don't be comfortable with the same person you've been. If you ain't, if by January 1st, you're not a different person, you need to change something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much. I received that. Thank you again. Dr. Hakeem, I really want to express my appreciation, my gratitude for you coming on our show. Um, Thank you for the entire um, team of the Royal Empress. You all have, again, has been such an inspiration for me. Um, I'm going to have to revisit uh, our our conversations in a few months and bring you all back on the show because sometimes I I need a little dose myself. (laughs) <laughs> we all got to come on together. That would be nice. Yeah, that's, we, 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 we got to do that because I was like, okay, well, I want to know what everybody's doing individually though. But man, when I tell you, I, I will say that already that um, these last three episodes have been the most engaging that I probably have ever had. No shade on the rest of my guests, but I'm just saying because we're talking about some pretty deep rooted stuff as we as it relates to the melanated community and you know that's very near and dear to me so you know th- this has been really special and so I, I thank you all for participating in this work and for guiding us and being a leader thank in our community so yes and i want to thank you for melanated queen sister that's that you know like i told you before offline before that what black women we don't refer to each other as queen and we sure as hell don't refer to each other as melanated queen so i want to thank you for that Oh, it just I appreciate changes the it. way we see ourselves and how we relate to one another. Thank you. Oh, no, no problem. It just came to me one day. I was sitting there and I was like, wait a minute. This is what we're going to do because that, that was just on my heart. You know, I just felt like it was, it was put on me and it's, it's, it's not only fitting, but it should be more fitting for some of our sisters. And I think if we just continue to look at ourselves like that, then maybe we'll, we'll see some change. Mm-hmm. And we'll see some change. Yes, so, yeah. So, family, you know what? It's been great. Thank you all for again listening to us this week. If you have any concerns or questions for me, please email me at laurentmix at gmail dot com. Please make sure that you follow the uh, website confessionsofmelanedqueen.com. Tune in to the show on a weekly basis. And every now and then, you never know, we may have some giveaways. But again, we want to thank the Royal Empress Organization for participating in our conversations the last few weeks. It's been great. All right, you all, you take care of yourselves. We'll talk next time. Thank you for listening to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Follow Dr. Meeks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dr. Lauren Meeks. If you have a confession, visit confessionsofamelanatedqueen.com and share your story. Peace and love.